This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about Martian Time Slip, a 1964 science fiction novel by Philip K. Dick. Um, first serialized uh, under a different title called uh, All We Mars Men, which I went and found and I put up all the pictures because um, they're in the public domain, even if the, the story itself is not. Those were great. Yeah, I I was trying to look at them after reading the book again, and I'm like pretty sure I know which each goes with, but they're not exactly how I pictured it. Mm-hmm. Um, right near the beginning of the serialization, there's a pair of insects um, that look like, I don't know, praying mantises or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, that's very briefly mentioned that the kids on Mars uh, have these uh, pets called boxers, yeah. which yeah, <laughs> it's like okay. I really wanted to see more of those. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of um, threads that lead nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Philip K. Dick novel. What do you expect? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, I I think I tweeted you both the uh, somebody's review that said it. You know, this was a wonderful train wreck of a novel. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I think that that's right. A lot of his stuff, you know, he just starts all these characters moving and then ho- hopefully he will find some way to make it all work. Yeah. And I think, I think he really pulled it off somehow at the end of this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you both read this before, right? Yeah. I, 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 I read it back when I was going through, going through Dick's War in a big way and then I hadn't thought about it till you suggested you were going to do a podcast. I was like, oh, I should listen to this again. It's been years. Yeah. I hadn't read it before. Oh, no. no. Okay. What, how many uh, PKD novels had you read previously? Mm, I don't know exactly, but probably maybe five or six. Yeah. I'm not sure. What did you think? Well, this used to be one of my favorites. Is this one of yours? Well, um, I started listening to it on audio first. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't like it um, because there's I, two different versions, and I, I'm not sure which one I sent you. Yeah, I actually I, I, I tried them both in the end, but okay. um, but at first I didn't like it because I was trying to listen to it, and whenever I'd go back into it, I felt like I was always losing my place, or like I'd listen to something already, and then I'd missed parts of it, and maybe I'd like fallen asleep, or mm. I couldn't get into it. And then when I read it in print, I realized it's because so many scenes repeat and I wasn't just like losing parts of it or you know getting mixed up it's actually meant to be like that so then when I read it in print I loved it oh cool yeah, yeah I, I had that same sort of experience I remember reading it but listening to it with with, with the with this with the scene at Arnie's uh, apartment uh, repeating over and over again it does yeah. feel a little uh, feel a little uh, disconcerting like wait a minute I listen to this no no things are yeah. different this time that's right that's I how think- this novel goes yeah, that's a novel by repeating part of the novel. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, oh, it must be so boring that I'm just falling asleep every time and then not remembering these like weird little moments. But it was the same scene over and over with new moments. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, uh, there's one big one like that. Mm-hmm. There is, is there's no other m- minor little ones, is there? 
Well, there's um, also there's also toward the there's there's the the one scene with Arnie's uh, at Arnie's apartment, and then there's of course when Arnie goes back in time and things starting repeat but not yet repeat at the same time. Right. Yeah, right. it was more that apartment scene, but also the lead up to that kind of repeats every now and then, like slightly different ways as well. Hmm. I, I wonder if that's a, a byproduct of the way Philip K. Dick wrote it, or if. <laughs> I think, I mean, this is sort of his theme. Uh, it's got all his themes that he's always working on. Um, you know, one of the, one of the, that same reviewer called it a train wreck, mm-hmm. wonderful train wreck or whatever, also pointed out, you know, his, his problems with marriage and, and then he must have had some problem with the, with the plumbers union or something. Yeah, he actually did because, um, I've got, have you read The Search for Philip K. Dick? No, I haven't. That's written by his wife, Anne, who he was with at the time. And um, she talks about how they had like some big problem with the water pressure in their house there. And he went around all the neighborhood talking to everyone and found out that everyone had the same problem. And then he got all outraged and like became a part of the, um, I don't know, I guess like some kind of waterworks council or something and got all mm-hmm. involved to try and get their water sorted out. So... <laughs> So that, this is his revenge. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yet for all that, because I did a little research looking up looking, looking up this novel, the original manuscript title for this was called "Good Member Arnie Cot of Mars." Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And I had and I and I hadn't realized he's. I mean, I, I he was such a central character until I listened to this. And so I go, yeah, he's really in the sense of the hero. He's the main character. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I had not remembered it that way. I just remembered him as the, as as a, as a side, as a side character, albeit mm. large. But I didn't realize. Oh, yeah, he's actually the main character in this. You see, he's also driving the plot. There's, it, you know, there's a lot of people around. Uh, you know, our our um, the father, the neighbor. You know, all those those people are all having stuff going on in their lives, but. The guy who's driving the plot is either uh, the the man from Earth coming to uh, buy up all the land. I also was thinking about this as sort of a... Uh, oh, Jack's father, you mean, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was thinking about... But there's a the there's a movie set in Los Angeles. It's all, the plot involves, you know, water China rights. <laughs> Chinatown, right. Okay, so it's like kind of like the plot of Chinatown, or, or I guess the sequel to that the two Jakes, I think it was called. That's a sequel. Um, yeah. yeah, but the plot, you know, the the plot ultimately is about water rights and and buying up land uh, so that you can scam. It's about <laughs> development, basically. Um, so it's either it's either Arnie or it's it's the father who's driving the plot, and and yet um, I also think that uh, he, Helio Gabalus might be behind everything too. Mm. Well, he 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 does propel Ar- uh, Arnie to uh, make this uh, trip through time, and, and to his death, and, and to his and to his and, and to his deaths. Right. Yeah, that, that confused me when I read this years ago. Wait a minute, he died? No, he didn't die. He died, <laughs> and then now he's dead. You're like what the hell? It, I, yeah. I, I think this is like the third PK novel I read after Time Out of Joint and. Uh, and uh, and uh, do Android Stream Electric Sheep. So, so, so I still am not quite really grok with 
what Dick was all about when I first read this. So like, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's it's uh, there's actually quite a few um, modern things. Uh, the, one of the things that I was thinking about when he when the father what's what's the father's name? Uh, he goes to mi- visit the school. Uh, uh, he's he's the. Bolin oh, 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 right, no, no, Leo's the father's father. Oh, Jack. Jack, yeah. okay. So Jack goes to visit the school, um, and there's the broken, uh, fa- there's a broken, what's the, the robot called? Um, friendly Dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Friendly Dad robot, or um, uh, there's all these robots, and uh, while he's, I think he's sitting there reading a magazine or something, and the the school is monitoring everything he's doing. Oh yeah, it's watching him. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's like, wow, this is actually what, you know, when you're reading your Kindle, Amazon's watching you, right? They are tracking everything you're reading. Oh, yeah. They can see what page turns you're making. They can see what you're highlighting. Um in this case it was supposed to be for, you know, sort of an educational, I think, it, it because the kids really love their school, right? It seems to be. I, I would love to go to that school. Yeah. Well, it seems that they love it if they're a certain kind of kid. Like, it's to make them... It's, like, sort of conservative, isn't it? Like, to keep everything the same and... It is, but they have, you know... They, there was, like, a, a Mark Twain teacher, but there was also, you oh, know... Yeah. A whole bunch of... There's a whole bunch of, sort of... I, it was conservative in the sense that it, it's trying to preserve the Earth culture. Yeah. But it wasn't picky about which... Earth culture, it was mm-hmm. uh, preserving. Mm-hmm. It was just all of Earth culture. I well, think. It, 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 it was now. Now looking looking back at it, it, it was relatively Western focused with the names of uh, who was who was there. I, I would I would like to think that if this was written yeah. today, you'd have a lot more diversity in that. It kind of reminds me a little bit. Um, do you, have have you ever read the the Timegate anthology? It was like late eighties, done by Robert Silverberg. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. Um, basic, basic idea was computer programming in the 21st century allows for the recreation of historical personalities. So a couple of universities decided to do that and have these historical recreations of of characters inside their inside the computers to talk to and debate with. And I was thinking of that when I was when I was when I was listening to this again. I, I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of like that. Except instead of having robots, of course, it's computer programs, but. In that in, in that in that novel, those computer programs start getting autonomy and start wanting to do things for themselves rather than just sit around a- answering questions. Ah. it's strange because in this in this book by his wife, she also says that um, he got the idea because someone came to their door, some door-to-door salesman selling teaching machines. But then she doesn't say anything else about it, so you don't find out what these teaching machines are or how they worked. But apparently he was fascinated by that. Yeah, I wish he uh, explained that. Like, I, I I would guess it's sort of like cassettes or something. Yeah. Do you understand? No. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, if you understand, go to B. Uh, the there there was um there was a couple of throwaway lines in there about the different uh, teachers. Um, there was. Who was the philosopher? Nietzsche, I think, was there. No, it wasn't Nietzsche. It was it was Immanuel Kant. Kant. Immanuel Kant was uh, with certainty. He pointed down the hall. Your son is there. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, uh huh. 
it, it is Western, I would say, but mostly they're just the interests of Philip K. Dick, you know. Um, those, those, those teachers down the halls are all, um, you know, the people he's read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, you know, if, if he, if he was reading it today, it would just be a bigger list of people, I think. Yeah. Or reading it today, it would just be a bigger list. Let's see. We have Aristotle, Abraham Lincoln, Julius Caesar, Winston Churchill, Tiberius, Claudius, uh, Julius Nero or whatever, right? Tiberius was one of the teachers, which was kind of Thomas, he was unpopular though. Thomas Edison, yeah. So it's 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 a, it's a neat idea to have all these historical, and they also talk about themselves. They talk about just they teach all sorts of things because they it mentions mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln teaches warfare and contemporary states as well as U.S. history. So it's like mm-hmm. they have something great. They have the personalities of their of their old lives, but teach things beyond, which kind of again reminds me of TimeGate again, which, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I wouldn't mind visiting a school like that and chatting up with these, chatting up with these teachers. I thought that was a neat, what, again, one of those million neat ideas he throws, throws in. Mm-hmm. And after that scene, and after his, little epi- after his episode, we don't really hear much about them again. Well, uh, the, the, there's two other mentions. Uh, Aristotle was in there, but also I thought was interesting. Philip II of Macedon, which is the guy who hired Aristotle, right? Yeah. To tutor his son. Alexander and I'm Ray, like, yeah. oh, what if if you're the kid who's hanging out uh, with the Philip of Macedon <laughs> teacher, uh, you're going to be, does that mean you're going to grow up to, you know, conquer Mars or what's, what's, I what's that all about? I, Philip, Philip second of Macedon, now we're getting off topic, is, would, would be remembered as one of the greatest generals of the ancient age, if not for the fact that his son was Alexander the Great. Yeah, general. that's right. So, um, I, I'm 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 interested in the philosophy uh, that or the philosophical grounding the science grounding of what he's doing with I know why we're going to the school is to is to see that some kids won't fit in even in this great environment or at least pretty damn good environment I think for teaching the, the teachers there when they're not broken <laughs> seem to be good we don't actually see them teaching but. Um, it sounds like a, a very cool idea, but what do you think? What do you, what do you think about his ideas of schizophrenia and and autism? Because I don't think most people accept these as you know the gospel as to what's going on there. But I, I find them absolutely fascinating. I I, I I think it's a product of his of of his times and the limited knowledge of what schizophrenia and autism were. I mean he I mean it's definitely definitely it's dated. I mean. The way we understand autism and schizophrenia these days is completely different from what Dick suggests. It, they're fascinating ideas in the science fictional world. What if autism was like this sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what what is he saying? It is exactly. He's saying it's like you're if you're uh, if you're autistic like like the the boy. Um, we are like a Manfred. You're kind of like a a kid who experiences time at a different rate than other people. And, and that's why he's, he's so obsessed with, you know, staring at flowers for six hours because he's watching them grow. Yeah. Um, a der- derangement in the sense of time. Yeah. The boy, I mean, Dr. Glob explains it. So but, was that the autism or the schizophrenia that was that's the aut- derangement? That's, aut- that's autism. Okay. Yeah, which he, I think he, he's conflating them a little bit, or the, he's saying they're, they're on the same spectrum a yeah, little bit. Yeah, okay. Well. But, um, yeah, but he, I think 
we're going from what Manfred is de- dealing with, I think. Yeah. He also says at one point, uh, Jack is saying that um, the the autism is, they're basically just diagnosing kids with autism when they don't fall into that line with the school, like the public, right, how they're right, raised. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because um, I, I think that's where, like, you know, we get a lot of our our diagnoses is is mm. by having people not fall into the conforming uh, of society that's structured the way modern societies are structured. Yeah, just like breaking yeah. expectations a bit. So the... Sorry. Yeah, there's, the, think think of it as a parallel. I mean, he uses autism as a way of saying kids don't fit in. In some ways, especially in the '90s and the 2000s, it's ADD and ADHD that we say, oh, kids don't fit in. They need they they have attention deficit disorder and they need mm. to be drugged. I mean, in, in this novel, they put in Camp BG, but it's the same sort of. It's it's kind of eerie in a way that he's he's he he predicted this in a way that. Yeah, well, it's so early that it feels like it's it's um, it's got to be wrong. But the thing is, I, I I don't know anybody who's got autism. I do know somebody who has schizophrenia. I think, <laughs> you know, because there's no you know little chip he wears around his his neck that says, "Yep, I got schizophrenia." It's just. Um, but the thing is, is. Uh, you know, if you're living in a, you know, a tribal culture with, you know, without watches, uh, you know, you, you set your, your, your time by the stars and by the seasons. Um, the fact that you, uh, uh, are schizophrenic will not be as clear, I think. Or you, the fact that you're, uh, again, I don't know anybody with autism, so I can't say exactly, but from what I read about it, it doesn't sound like it's, it's uh, completely um, completely explicable as only a disability. Mm-hmm. It seems to be something, some sort of tendency, and you know it can cause a lot of stress for people, but not necessarily be um, a bad thing as much as a difficult thing mm-hmm. in the way we live. But again, I I don't know anybody with autism, so I can't really speak to that. But like, I'm lo- I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry. Um, and it's some people in autistic culture have seeking care, and others believe autism should be accepted as a difference and not be treated as a disorder. Yeah. So anything that doesn't fit into our our culture, you know, you know, if you don't accept, for example, this is the example I really like. If you don't accept um, daylight savings time. You will be in jail very soon because, yeah. first of all, you can't get a job, right? Um, because people won't accept you being late, um, and then uh, you're going to get in trouble when you're with your court date because you're <laughs> yeah, absolutely you'll get in trouble with your court date. Um, you will end up in prison, and the guards will not like you. And this is all from one tiny thing, right? Which is just imagine you absolutely believe that daylight saving time is not real, which it isn't. It's made up. It's made up. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely 100% made up, and it's not even consistent across all of the cultures, right? Some, sometimes zones don't do it. Um, 
That's one tiny little thing. Now imagine that, you know, it's not just one tiny little thing. It's many things yeah. or, or some other change. It's going to m- make your world a lot more difficult for you. But I think that's because of the kind of very rigid society we've gotten. I think in, in he, he doesn't really delve too deeply on this, except I think the whole novel's really about that. Yeah. At the end, Manfred, you know, gets what he needs, which is to not live in that uh, rigid, you know, mom, dad, suburban community. Yeah, it comes up a lot that, that they're sort of trying to transplant Earth culture onto a different planet. Yeah. And even the, the the sort of the hatreds, right? They've got the the Soviets there, mm-hmm. and uh, when as soon as they saw it, they, the you know the, that it was a, a Russian guy, they were, yeah, we're, we can't talk to this guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they drop that, and they drop that little bit immediately, and then we go back to it being a very American colony on Mars, very Bradburyan sort of Mars. You, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of habitable. You have Americans trying to make a culture here. You have Martians dying away, although they're much more, I hate the word you use, sort of pathetic in Dick's world than in Bradbury's. Bradbury's is almost like a romance of their passing. Yeah, they're elves, sort of. Yeah. They're passing on. Um, But that's only one perception. See, I think think that the the bleak men, as they're called, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, and I love the name. <laughs> yeah. Their lives are so bleak, right? But actually, um, it, it, their lives are not bleak. It's just they appear bleak because they have to go around begging for water. But that's the perception of the people is every once in a while, people get into trouble with water. But the way they deal with it is, look, we have this water witch. We uh, spit on it or pee, we, you used to say peeing on is bad. So now we spit on it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was and that solves our problems, right? And look, you came. And, you know, people do get into trouble. And if you are living a, you know, a hunting-gathering lifestyle where you haven't got, uh, you know, drilling technology to drill down where and get water wherever you go, or you don't have the guns to go and appro- expropriate other people's land, um, <laughs> then uh, you're going to occasionally experience these these uh you know, droughts and, you know, have to move on. But it's, it's not, uh, it's not, their lives are not as bleak as, you know, they're, they're pathetic because the main character, you know, he's always calling them niggers and he's, he's a horrible human being. Yeah. Right? Going around saying how terrible they all, they are. His, his tame, uh, bleak man, mm-hmm. Heliogabalus, right, is, I think, uh, you know, get, either getting revenge or or doing good by sending them on this uh, dream quest. Or oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I got that. I got that feeling, especially this time that he 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 was he was paying Arnie back for treating him the way he had. Yeah, and it was, it didn't even seem that malicious. It seemed like this is what needs to be done, right? Uh, because he's 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 not actually trying to hurt the kid either. But um, I I thought it was interesting. The last book you and I. Paul did about a philokatic book. Also had a pilg, a pilgrim. Oh yes, Deus Ira, yeah. Deus Ira, Deus, you're right. Deus so, Ira, yeah. Yeah, so that Marissa, that's a philokatic novel written with Roger Zelazny. Oh yeah, uh huh. 
And it's basically a collection of his short stories that are all sort of jammed together to try and make a story. <laughs> um, but I actually think it paid off pretty well, uh, surprisingly. Uh, not as well as this one pays off, but it's got, you know, the, the trek through the desert. And <laughs> they even mention, I love that at the beginning of this book, they're, they're talking about the kids with, uh, being born with no arms and legs, like, just like, Tibor, uh, yeah. Tibor back in, uh, in that book. And it's, uh, you know, I can see him reading, as, as Philip Kiddick reading psychology today and saying, oh boy, I'm yeah. going to write all these things down, you know? <laughs> Isn't it interesting that this, this, and this? But I, I think there, there's there's something very cool going on in his guess about what autism is. I, I don't think, you know, that autistic people can see the future <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or, or facilitate time travel. As far as I can tell, that's yeah. just made up. But there's something going on there. Something interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like a psychological version of... Uh I'm going to mispronounce this, and Jamie Tom Rubin's going to look at me. Teothemaline, uh, the Isaac Asimov chemical that dissolves uh, in water a second before you put it in. So, okay. So it's, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a, because it's, because of its chemical properties, it has a part of it that's actually sticking to the future. So, <laughs> it, so it's actually it's kind awesome. of moves in the future a little bit, and you can manipulate time slightly by not putting it in when you, when you huh. say it is. So people with autism can kind of see the future in the same sort of kind of sort of not really, but yes, sort of way that he's exploring here and trying to reconcile that reality with our reality. Yeah. And what what I also like is when he he does do, you know, when he did it in in or when he does these shifts, they're never exactly what we expect. Right. So when when Arnie goes back in time. He seems to have forgotten that he's gone back in time at some point. He's just sort of upset about things. Yeah, and that was funny. <laughs> he, he, has a, he, has, he has a lot more difficulty than he imagined in trying to... And then when he finally starts to, things just keep conspiring against him. But it, yeah. But it's almost like he's fallen... Yeah, and they make his whistle, so he's fallen into a... A schizophrenic world because he keeps hearing things gobble gobble and yeah and it's so creepy like it should be terrifying but he just sort of seems a bit like irritated <laughs> it's it's very dreamlike yeah. what, what's with the uh the secretary turning into a sh- you know I, she's got sharp tongue i was gonna ask you that it's like i mean she's Cause i went and listened to the scene again after hearing the 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 subsequent one and the, it's almost word for word about you know the desk and the newspaper and the bicycles in outer space and all that stuff but then when the the girl comes into the room he his immediate reaction is different right? and, and her reaction is different oh yeah mm-hmm. I mean she's she's a predator I mean whereas he's the predator normally right yeah. I mean, what, what she, is it the same character in two different places? Has something taken over her skin? We're not really, we're not actually made it clear whether it's something just taking her place or, I mean, she, she wasn't like that in the beginning or was she? It's just, it's not only when he's going back. It's Go kind ahead. of the same in, sorry. Go ahead. It's kind of the same in that scene um, in the apartment with Arnie. Um, and Manfred, the one that repeats. And when you go back yeah. to it, Jack is really, he becomes really predatory and he's like sniffing around Doreen mm. and everything becomes about 
teeth and everyone's just acting really sort of creepy and aggressive. They're from the Doom world somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Um, I, I should also point out that uh, Sylvia, the name Sylvia, that's the wife of uh, is Jack? Mm-hmm. Jack's wife? Yeah. Um, that is the probably most common female name Philip K. Dick uses. He just uses it over and over really? and over. There's one woman he was never married to. Was no, no woman he was ever married to was named Sylvia. She's an awful woman. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it's it's sort of an analogy for some sort of marriage. I mean, e- everything in this book is really about him, right? Yeah. But even so, uh, I just thought it was... Uh, it, 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 it's funny, too, because it starts... She's under she's under drugs, right? Yeah. Was, in the opening line. Yeah, in the opening line, she's she's waking up from a drug drugged up state, and she's talking talking about how she has to um, drug herself less. And then a minute or so later, she's saying, "Well, and I got to take my my uppers and my downers." Yeah. <laughs> wow. And she has her kid trained to just deal with oh. the stuff for her. Yeah. <laughs> That's fancy questions or something like that. Yeah, you deal with the UN guy. I I can't be bothered. But that's about the only real drug reference we get, that that opening scene. And then, Mm kind of unlike other dick novels, I mean, that's, I mean, it's almost as though you put in there like a token, okay, this is how you know you're in a dick novel. (laughs) But then, but then. Coffee. That's the other theme. I, I love how, no matter how difficult it is to, you know, get, uh, black market things. Everybody has coffee right? <laughs> on Mars. Everybody's drinking coffee because I didn't even it all that. comes back to, uh, you know, ultimately this is about this. This is written by a guy living in California. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't go out during the day. He's <laughs> typing drugs and coffee. And so, yeah, yeah. That's what he gets up and goes to get some coffee. Uh, go read that psychology today. Go complain about the water pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Neighbors barking dog get back to the keyboard. <laughs> um, what what do you guys make of the Doctor Glaub uh, subplot? I love how we get into these characters' minds and we can see how you know Doctor Glaub is like he's just really desperate to make some money. Yeah, <laughs> I, horrible. Another horrible character. I, I kind of almost think in some ways may, maybe maybe this is reading the the biography of Dick into one of his characters that mm-hmm. it's Dick's own concerns with trying to make a living and make a go of things because mm-hmm. he was, he was churning out these novels like mad just to try to keep afloat. And Dr. Gloves, this desperate desire to get a job with, with Arnie Codd is kind of almost a reflection of Dick's own financial concerns. Mm-hmm. He's, he also, he does this thing. Uh, he comes up to the, and, uh, what, I can't remember her first name. Esther Hazy. Um, uh, Anne. Anne yeah. Esther. Right. Okay. So she was married to Arnie. They have a kid together who is uh, in some sort of autistic situation, right? No, and they, he's. Remember, he's there. Um, he's not supposed to be in that camp. He's not autistic. He's just disabled. He's got like webbed fingers or something. And, and, and he's mentally uh, deficient. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not actually he's got, autistic. He's got something. He's got some sort of problem that mm-hmm. that that Glaub is going to try and use to squeeze, mm-hmm. uh, to squeeze her, and she's like, uh, well, you know that bill that I'm working on to prevent this school from being closed. Would you like that to happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh man, what a horrible doctor. 
I love how we when we get inside their minds, like Ernie Not Arcot is so um he's so horrible. Everything yeah. he says is horrible. And yet because we're seeing his mind we can see his spin on it. Yeah. And it doesn't seem so bad. And in re-listening last night, I, I pressed play and then went to sleep. And then I'd wake up, you know, uh, go to go to the bathroom, brush my teeth or something, right? Come back, go, go to sleep. Um, and in those, in those times in between, uh, I woke up like three or four times last night. One of the things that happened was I realized that there was a sex scene in this book and it totally doesn't play like a sex scene because, uh, Arnie wants to have sex and is it Doreen uh, is, uh, in bed and she doesn't, mm-hmm. but he says, well, that doesn't matter yeah. if you're awake. <laughs> yeah. like, Holy crap. <laughs> and it's, a di- it's all dialogue driven, right? So she says something like, when you're done, put my nightgown back yeah. on me. It's like, what? Yeah, it was kind of creepy, wasn't it? <laughs> but the way he's, he's actually, I, I realized like during the, the thinking, like she says, ouch, or something like that. Yeah. And then he starts thinking about like his, his plans, his evil plans. Yeah. He's and, thinking about work. Yeah, he's thinking about work, and it's like, what the hell? I could never this- figure out why that girl was with him. Like, I was like, why is she with this guy? Uh, Apart from the alcohol, he's, she's- he's powerful. Yeah, I don't know. He had access to all the booze. But but, but she does she does go uh, off with Jack the first chance she gets. I mean, she clearly yeah. doesn't. I mean, she says she loves Arnie, but clearly uh, the evidence the evidence belies what she actually says. Yeah. But then Jack goes back to back to his wife. Oh, I couldn't understand that either. <laughs> <laughs> well, horrible. Yeah, the whole wife having an affair too up. seemed almost like a way to. So okay, so they both have an affair so they can get back together. It almost yeah. feels like they stuck there perfunctorily so that Jack could go back to his wife and it'd be there would be an imbalance there. They both have. Both yeah. have committed against each other, but I didn't yeah. find that believable at all. No, that was so strange. <laughs> it's like, well, like, what, what, what a fair? Wait, what? No, <laughs> I, I, I could have said Jack's fair, but the wife's fair. Like, she, she's not very she, much of a character. She's got no. no redeeming feature. Like, and she just basically had that affair because she was bored and wanted to well, have the story for her, her friends. Children. That's her redeeming feature. She doesn't hit her children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's not very good uh in any other way but yeah there's i mean you can see absolutely he is writing about his own life <laughs> it's it's all about that yeah, but some digs. Uh, na- you know the neighbors uh, the german neighbors and uh it's but somehow it seems to all work mm-hmm. that's what i don't understand is it is sort of a train wreck um it shouldn't work and yet it totally does yeah. somehow I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> I don't know what else yeah. to say other than it's a great book, yeah, but, they're, they're, but it makes no sense. They, I mean, it's just, I just love like the little details too. They just keep peppering this book. Everything from the Swiss rockets that bring the, bring the, uh, the goods to the fact oh, yeah, that there's, there's a throwaway line about how the Bleakmen are homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, they, they came, they came to Earth and Mars. They were both seen on Earth and Mars a million years ago. Like, wait, what? And we never hear this again. And mm-hmm. it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I was, I was kind of reminded of, um, 
the S.M. Sterling Lords of Creation duology novels where you have uh, aliens terraforming Venus and Mars and dropping all sorts of creatures, including humans, on them. So when we get to Mars, they're Martian civilization. And there's Venus, we find women running around with, uh, with fur bikinis. <laughs> because, because aliens it's, did it. It's, it's really, it's really, you know, it's California. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> um, but it's interesting because they're not Native Americans. That's not their culture, right? No. Um, Arnie calls them niggers and they're, he thinks they're, black Africans, I guess. But the culture doesn't seem to be, you know, uh, colonizing Africa either. It, I guess the closest one is uh, Australia. Yeah, I kept on yeah. thinking of Australian Aborigines when I was reading it. Right. So what... what, what Dreamlines and dream songs are not... Uh, the dream time is not mentioned in this book. But... And I didn't notice it the first time I read it because I hadn't... I, I didn't know about that at the time, but it seems much more obvious now. And I, in searching, I saw that Vallis apparently uh, talks about this. So I guess Philip K. Dick figured it out at, at some point, or, you know, read about it some at some point. Mm. Um, what, what, what's the link you sent? Uh, the Ludwig Binswanger. Oh, that was about the tomb world. Right, but, but where's this from? Was this a quote from the book? Yeah. Um, when is that? He mentions it a couple of times. He's born in Switzerland in 1881, and his theory is like Freudian analysis, existential psychology. I think Jack mentions it. It's like it's when Jack is going into this uh, into this other alternate kind of memory or or alternate mm-hmm. time. I think he mentions the tomb world there. Okay, well, it's, uh, well, it's Binswanger. Does Binswanger get name-checked in it? No. That's what um, his wife, Anne, said that he was obsessed with that, with Binswanger. This, um, I guess he's like a, what is he, a psychologist or psychiatrist? or? Yeah. Um, he was obsessed with him at the time he was writing it. Ah. So I guess he's trying to put his theories into the, hmm. into the story. Yeah. And then there was, uh, so there was a... This okay, so it's, it says Ellen. Someone in her childhood had split her life into two opposing camps. On the one hand, there is the quote-unquote tomb world, which includes her physical and social existence. Her body and its low needs distracts her from her purpose. It gets older every day. Her society is bourgeois and corrupt. The people around her seem oblivious to all the evil and all the suffering. In the tomb world, everything is degenerate and degenerating. Because everything is being pulled down into the grave, into a hole. That totally sounds like something that he puts in his books, including briefly in this one. Yeah, and doesn't Jack say something at one point about how being schizophrenic, like he can feel this kind of um, the de- degenerate side of other people and the kind of this sort of, I guess it's like the decaying of the of the people around him. He can sense it. Yep. I think it's like about being trapped in your own body. Yep, Jack thought, and people talk about mental illness as an escape. He shuddered. It was no escape. It was a narrowing, oh, yeah. a contracting of life into at least a moldering, dank tomb, a place where, place where nothing came and went, a place of total death. Ah. And then we get into Gubbling. Yeah, so the Gubble seems to it, it seems to indicate that we're in that somehow. Yeah, yeah it's it, it's his, it's his, it's his marker. Um, I, 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 it may not be quite the uh, 
the right analogy, but uh, all the gobble gobble and it sort of taking over the text kind of reminded me of that classic scene in being John Malkovich, where everything turns into Malkovich. Right, Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Right, because he, he descends into the Malkovich world. Just everything is Malkovich, right. and everyone is Malkovich. It's, it's almost right. like a schizophrenia in a way. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's something like that. Is it, there's a schism, anyways. Um, but I think that this is true. I think that that this, that that line from uh, Binswanger about I guess he's describing a, a patient or mm-hmm. something. Ellen West. Um, um, her body, with its low needs, distracts her from her purposes. I think this is true. Mm-hmm. That our bodies do distract us from our purposes if we have any, uh, which we don't. But if we try to <laughs> try to uh, have them, uh, you know, getting you know, getting some nice coffee in your belly or you know, having sex, those are not like they're not the striving purposes because those are just animal things. Every animal's got those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it does seem like the people around you are bourgeois and corrupt and that there's evil and suffering in the world and they're oblivious to it. Right. It does seem like that. Yep. And then, uh, but then it goes into, you know, everything is degenerating. Everything is being pulled down into a grave, into a hole. That is, sounds like depression to me. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I think, you know, you can have the, the first half and say, you know, we should be striving for, for things greater than that. Um, and yet not just be totally depressed all the time mm. because it's all brain chemistry, right? You just, you just have some, have some coffee. It'll make you feel better. And then, uh, you know, you won't think about coffee so much. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> something, I think, there's something going on here. Yeah, for sure. That girl that he was studying, um, Ben Sanger, I think she was an anorexic and, Mm. Spent her whole life trying to overcome that and then just got obsessed with death as a release from mm-hmm. that. So it kind of makes sense. I just found that quote in the book as well, um, The Tomb World. It's Jack refers to it when he's looking at Manfred's drawing and they're saying how sick it is mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Manfred draws the uh, amweb. And, and then Jack's like, I know what it is. It's The Tomb World. Yeah, Doreen really doesn't like that. She thinks it's evil and it's a it's bad. And and she's she's saying Jack's recognizing this is a bad sign because and it's a sign that Jack is slipping into his own schizophrenia again. That he yeah. can connect with Manfred by recognizing what the, the drawing is. I mean, Doreen just sees it as something ugly and evil, whereas Jack has a connection to it, and that's a bad sign. It's a it's when art recognizing art is a bad thing for a change, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the illustration, I think that that's really nicely uh, portrayed. I'm just trying to spot it. Um, it's what the heck's the name of the? It's man, all we Marsmen. That's it. So in all we Marsmen, the the illustration for that has Manfred sort of sitting over that envelope, and in the background there are these sort of horrifically degenerate or rotting sort of monsters. I mean, I think that that's something that's going on with that secretary too, right? Is that she is turning into uh, a nightmare woman, mm-hmm. right? She wants, her tongue wants to cut and it won't be satisfied with just a little cutting, right? And, and uh, it freaks him out. And yet it, it's, it feels like a comeuppance, right? But it, it's just, 
it's that taking hold of the of the fact that you know if you can see far enough into the future you're also seeing death mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. one of the other illustrations in there the Virgil Finlay illustrations has the i think that secretary um she's you know her features are sharp well that's because if you look at her her face is a skull right you're seeing her as her death oh uh, yeah uh. right and it's like uh hey i want to kiss you but oh, wait i got all this skull <laughs> i don't have any flesh on my face ah it's going to be painful right <laughs> it's like yikes it's all sharp and bony yeah. yikes oh there's um, a, there was some awesome imagery in that book yeah. It's all the seeing the insides of people and their their bones and their plastic and steel tubing and <laughs> yeah, and that that's all, like I was saying. I think in a, a tweet there, that is another image that recurs. That's in uh, he he wrote it earlier, um, Minority Report, right? And he even says, I think that. Well, yeah, that's what's going to happen to Manfred, right? Is they're going to cut off his arms mm-hmm. so he doesn't take out his tubes, right? right. Um, he's going to be, you know, fully supported uh, in a life support system and unable to speak. Well, he doesn't completely avoid that, right? He no. still ends up, but he's happier yeah. because he's in a better facility or something like that. And it's like, oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he has some autonomy. He's, I mean, I think they say he cuts off his arms and legs. It, yeah, which which again goes back to Zebor. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, Our main character with no no limbs. Right. Um, uh, that other novel. That was hilarious. At the yes, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh that uh Jesse has. Have you ever seen the the adaptation of, of the movie adaptation of Scanner Darkly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they animated. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I think I think if you were going to make a movie of this, and I know they've talked about it for years. I think that would be the way to do it, so you could have mm. all the you could have all the images from the Tomb World kind of flickering in and out and coming up uh, to yeah. reality. I think that would be a great way to film this if you were ever going to try to film this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. There's a there's a a lot of images amongst the plot, and and that is. That is something that comes up. What's so amazing is that it's all dialogue driven, right? There's almost no description of, of the actual landscape. Or, you know, there's mm. no, the, the, we get a, a few colors here. You know, there's a g- green growth along the canal or something like that. But basically it's all dialogue driven. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and that I'll, uh, somehow, usually that doesn't allow me to fill in the details, but I, especially this time through. It's not just about spending time with the characters. It's also like, what are they reacting to? What is it that they're, you know, if it's not dialogue, it's, it's mental processes, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're thinking about what's going on. So, um, having those illustrations somehow, it's like, oh yeah, that's, I see what's, this is, it was there to be found, right? And when Virgil Finlay sat down to, you know, extract, uh, images to, distill what's going on in the scene he has to think a lot harder than i do just sitting there listening to the book Mm -hmm. and uh that's why i love to uh, be able to go back and look and find those illustrations it's you you don't get that with a modern novel and i I think i think we 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 somehow miss out because every once in a while there's an author like this who doesn't uh who doesn't illustrate. Yeah, he's not painting the details in for you. Yeah. Not at all. He's 
he's he's he's you, you know you do have to read it a lot harder. Yeah, I, I almost somehow. missed it completely in the audio. Like I just didn't get a sense of the place at all, and it wasn't until I read it no. that I was like, oh, I can see it now. Yeah, yeah I, a novel I just recently read, Falling Sky by I'm going to mispronounce his name, Rajan Khanna. It's a it's a it's a post-apocalyptic zombie novel, but it's 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 written as if Hemingway wrote a zombie novel. It's very lean, very lean on description and on place. It's all mm. it's all character driven. I mean, you don't really get senses of where these places are, what they really look like. It's all from the point of characters and characters reacting to each other and how characters feel about places. And I I I, I like to think that in some ways this novel is similar in that. I mean, we get bits and pieces there. Oh, yeah, there's the house way out in the middle of nowhere that has the lawn because they built their own canal to it. And you have the boxers, mm-hmm. and you have this image and that image almost as like, but nothing ever really the totality of a world you can walk through. But you see the characters, what the characters, as you said, react to and look at, and then you can start building up a, a picture of what Dick's Mars looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's so interesting to me is that because of the way it's written, it's all it, it dialogue driven, it's mentally driven. The the uh, length is short, right? It's not full of lengthy descriptions, right? It's it's not like you know the sunset and the colors on the in the water and how you know this house is made with this kind of wood or anything like that. It, it's it, it can be incredibly like this is a pretty sh- you know short novel compared to most, mm-hmm. and yet because it has all of these throwaway little uh, ideas and then people reacting to what they're seeing, they it is open to be expanded. Yeah, I just wish more books were written like this. So, do you see a lot of stuff like this, Marissa, in your job? No, I think I think it's more the other way normally very descriptive I, I really like how concise and short Philip K. Dick is that most books aren't dialogue driven anymore are they no they have dialogue it's not dialogue driven no I don't think so why, why, why do you think I think that it's like in creative writing classes they don't teach uh, they teach how to you know here read this and they, they pick something that isn't dialogue driven uh-huh. and people go and sort of emulate that yeah People like it's, to show off sorry. their descriptive skills. Yeah, and because it is not—I mean, it, it is nice to see something nice. Mm-hmm. But it's what's so funny to me is that it's um, it, the medium isn't good for that, right? <laughs> it, poetry it can do beautiful description by n- picking words very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see something very beautiful in a very short amount of space in poetry, but in novels, uh, in uh, I, th- I almost think Tolkien's responsible for it mm-hmm. because there are these passages in Tolkien where it's just landscape description, and they're really nice. But again, those are relatively short compared to, you know, it's a huge story and it's got a lot of dialogue in it as well, a lot of description of action. But it, there is a sort of reverence for the landscape. Here, there's no, <laughs> there's almost no landscape. We don't really, really know what the color of the sky is. Or, you know, it's, it, we know it's dry, mm-hmm. but we don't know what mm-hmm. color the dust is, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's it's, a, it's just a matter of... I 
Tolkien and I think Star Wars, the whole visuals are visuals are everything sort of thing that's colonized science fiction and fantasy in the last 30 years. You 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 want the sense of place, you want the big spectacle and character. I mean, I don't read a lot of contemporary fiction. It just bores the crap out of me in the most cases. I wonder if that's less true in contemporary fiction where you get more more dialogue as uh, the primary driver for a plot. I mean, movie, you get some small movies where dialogue is everything, but even there, it's mostly, let's, what can we show on the big screen? What mm. can we show in the novel? And we can pad 800 pages of eating eating meals and walking across uh, the long, <laughs> the long <laughs> road across the landscape. Right. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I think if you're going to this book looking for a, a, a distraction from life, I don't think that's what you get. I'm not sure what it is that, that he's feeding something, but it's not, it's not, uh, let's escape from life because it seems to be a, a description of life somehow, a meta description of, of the, I was thinking, like, what makes this sci- a science fiction story? I mean, what technology is <laughs> is invented? Or, I mean, there's really nothing, um, well, right? The chamber, for one thing. I yeah, okay. Um, but again, this is you know his theory of autism, sure. which is cool and everything. Um, but yeah, the chamber barely gets a description. But uh, we do see, you know, how how it will, how it works. It slows down and speeds up time so that communication is possible. Uh, which allows us to get to the 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 plot end, I guess. But ultimately, I mean, it's not really. Um, I think that that's just his way of exploring the ideas that what the the technology is your head, right? Your your mind and your brain. Yeah, you know, even the. We, go sorry. Ahead. Oh, I was gonna say even the planet isn't very different. <laughs> no, <laughs> Apart from I mean, gravity's yeah, a bit lighter. It's dry. You have the canals. You have some alien. You have one alien creature. You have the boxers, and not much else really described as far as alien fauna or flora. Oh, Mars rats or There's, something. Yeah, they're there, but it's not really a big yeah. deal, right? There's a bleak man are hunting, but I have no idea what they hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the water witches, which are, I know, made from some creatures. Oh, yeah, with a know. human face. <laughs> now, what is that little thing? I don't know. It was horrifying Maybe. because it, it was. it's frozen in a scream, right? It's like <laughs> a little human-faced creature frozen in a scream. Or... Maybe it's a relative of the boxers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, do you think that that thread is uh, picked up again? Because we get the water witch, and it's supposed to protect um, uh, Jack, but does it? I don't know. I mean, it's mentioned again, but it doesn't really explain how. He doesn't die. Yeah, that's true. But it didn't look like he was in danger either. But uh, you know, the uh, the pistol when he pulls out the pistol when Arnie pulls out the pistol, he it seems almost out of character. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but he's so desperate, I guess, at that point. To, and yet, I, I loved. I think that the real technology behind or real science fiction idea behind this is basically Philip K. Dick still trying to figure out what deja vu is. And Arnie says, he says, there's some French word for it, right? That feeling he's having where, you know, you're, 
you're driving through a particular neighborhood you've never been in before, and you say, I've been here before. This all looks familiar, this situation. And that person sitting beside me, it's all so familiar. This has happened before, you think. And we have this. This is definitely, like, I I have deja vu every, Mm -hmm. you know, six months or three weeks or whatever it is. Suddenly you just get that feeling. Um, And you can't, you can't find a um, an actual event in your life like that, but the feeling is there, absolutely. And even more, sometimes I have the feeling where I kind of like I know what's going to happen next because I felt this. Mm-hmm. It's just the weird, creepiest time to start this feeling. It's like, oh god, okay, this is going to happen next because I know this is going to happen next. And sometimes it does, and I go, like, and, what the hell? Yeah, and and that I mean that's. You know, he, Manfred can see into the future and we can too, but we're very poor at, uh, writing it down and, and having it be consistently right, right? So when you get that feeling, oh, I know what's going to happen next, you don't say immediately, I'm going to write this down and in five minutes I'm going to check and see what that says because it doesn't, <laughs> that, that writing of it down is not part of the whatever process sort of slipping, slipping of the gear like that that robot in the school had, you know, where he kept repeating the same line mm-hmm. and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Oh, little Jackie, <laughs> whatever it was, that repeated line sometimes will be perfectly acceptable and sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have some weirdness going on in our head and that's what he's exploring. His his science fiction is is psychology today. Yeah, right. it's not yeah. it's not uh, rocket ships uh, that you know that they've got faster than light or fast as light rocket ships now or whatever. That, that's there, yeah. but that's not the exploration that's actually happening. Yeah, they, I mean, yeah. That again, more throwaway. Apparently, they have fast. They have uh, close to light speed because they talk about going to Alpha Centauri, and they and they mm-hmm. have an Ansible in this book because. Do they? Well, they have to because we have a telephone call between Jack and his dad. His dad's on Earth, and they're having a okay. they're having a telephone call in real time, right? Which, which implies faster than light communication, because otherwise it'd be a half true. an hour difference. But That's again, right. another throwaway. I mean, Dick wasn't thinking too hard about those sorts of details. I find them. I don't think that that's the focus at all, right? It, it, those those are the trappings to get us to the situation of exploring this technology, right? Or we'll that technology, this this problem in science, right? Mm-hmm. And the social situation between these characters. Yeah. I mean, I think that you know. Uh, one of the biographies I read about him is that, you know, he would lie in bed while he's sleeping. Uh, when he wake up, he'd just lie in bed for a while. And when he's going to sleep, he would lie in bed. And those are the times when the focus, you know, it's the hypnagogic state, right? When the focus of the, of the mind is not as sharp as when, you know, you've had your morning coffee and you're off to work. Um, it's more like you're in a dream state but awake. Mm-hmm. And in those weird dreams, dream awake states, uh, things are, you're taking actual external data in. You know, the sounds of the neighbors, uh, the, you know, the sound of your daughter, <laughs> your kid, uh, you know, screaming about what's going on with the neighbor's pump or whatever it is. And 
you're taking it in, but it doesn't reel in the same way that it is after you've you know gotten up and had your breakfast. Yeah. So he would just lie there and just let his mind make connections. Yeah. Huh. And I I mean it it's like if <laughs> it it is a lot about taking the dream processing that is happening while you're asleep, right? That just basically gives you a white noise and then you try and your conscious, unconscious part of your mind tries to make sense of it. Um, He's doing that unconscious uh, making sense of it with the, with the semi conscious state. And it's like when, you know, you think you need to make a decision about something, you go to sleep, you wake up, you, you're, better able to answer it mm-hmm. not because you've been thinking about it because but because part of you has been processing yeah right yeah. the part of you that's not aware that's what he's exploring i think oh. and, it's, and it's why you know even though there's nothing new in any of these books right it's all they're all different explanations somehow for the same weird processes that we all share mm-hmm. all different and all equally true it's like like facets, like looking through facets of a diamond, trying to get a whole image of it. And we get different reflections and different in these mm-hmm. books. We get we get some references to the tomb world or to nonsense gibberish here and there, mm-hmm. and they're all slightly just different angles on each other. It's, it's yeah. It, it, it rewards reading more than one Philip K. Dick novel to see try to see the 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 broken mosaic of what he was trying what he was building. I only think he was trying to do it explicitly. You know, think. He was just. I think he's just interested in that subject, yeah, right? He's, yeah. And it just comes out twenty different ways and twenty different uh, explanations. And the thing is, is we don't like. I don't. Even though they're completely aged, right? These these books, you know, it's set in nineteen ninety four. It's on Mars that isn't anything like Mars. It doesn't really matter at all no. because <laughs> the thing that that is totally the same is people. They're totally the same. Yeah, and that's that's what counts. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the trappings are all wrong, but it's it's the characters and their how they interact with each other and how they deal with the situation. I mean, Arnie, Arnie, and Jack, and everyone else. That's what counts in these novels, and why why it's worth a reread or re-listen in this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of the the audiobook I sent you? That's the newer one from Brilliant. I, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I mean, I. I focused on a couple. I mean, I did have that weird disconnection where I had not remembered the repeated scene in the the apartment, and so I thought I had listened to it wrong. I mean, the, the weird way mm. it breaks up with the different tracks rather than being an rather than being an audiobook being a being MP3 files. So I thought maybe I was mm-hmm. listening to something over again. But then it's like, oh no, mm-hmm. okay, okay, no, that this is this is where the scene repeats. Okay, no, I thought I thought it was good quality, decent, decent okay. production. Yeah. I I don't like it as much as the I, I started listening to it after I, I I listened to the Grover Gardner version, which I'm not sure is still available. But he he's he's such a great oh, voice, yeah. and he does. That sounds, that sounds like we can I, I probably should have sent you that one. I'm sorry. No, no, but, no, no, I'm not gonna say no. You you sent me an audio book for review for a podcast. I'm not gonna complain too much. Okay. <laughs> well. Actually, I found that on YouTube, the Grover Gardner one, and I oh really? Much pref- yeah, someone's uploaded a whole bunch of audio books on there. Um, yeah, 
I reviewed it years and years ago, and he's he's such a great voice. Uh, yeah, I really preferred that one to the to the newer one. Yeah, and and it's not that the new guy's bad. Mm-mm. I think he's fine. He um, just doesn't. It doesn't sound like how I imagine Philip K. Dick characters or something. Like it didn't quite. Well, he's not. He's got you know the Arnie is such a big part of the book, uh-huh. and he's got that sort of. I mean, you. I like him, even though he's a fucking horrible person. <laughs> and I, the reason I liked him is because I like Grover Gardner, you know. And yeah, when I hear, you know, oh, that's yeah, it seems reasonable <laughs> to be a total jerk all the time. You're so funny. I I keep on thinking of that start the uh, the bit at the start where he's reading the newspaper. And he hears about the Japanese ship oh, yeah, and all the, the bicycles. Bi- <laughs> yeah. yep. And he's like laughing at all the bicycles floating into space, even though 300 people have died. And <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. He is a, and when we get that recapitulation at the end again, when he goes back mm-hmm. to time, it's like, yeah, he is not the, the he is a horrible human being. In many yeah. ways. He, wa- he wastes water. And yeah. proud of it. It's like, oh, uh-huh. I am so rich. I can yeah. have a awesome. shower and waste the water. Yeah. Uh, what what did you guys what do you guys think about my theory about Heliogabalus's name? <laughs> I thought it was pretty terrible. Um <laughs> Heliogabalus. Helio is the sun, right? Mm-hmm. S U N and Gabalus uh, sounds a little bit like gubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like okay, what you do is you give Manfred to Helio and say, "Okay, go off into the bush right you know go be a bushman um and he'll be okay yeah because he'll gabble less well you know what right? means. the sun will gabble less it's like terrible that's a terrible theory but it might be right gabulous is latin for a gallows ah interesting sun sun gallows yes and there's a there's a roman emperor he didn't live very long it was like oh, a few years this is the crisis of the third century named Eliagabalus, Eliagabalus, and he hmm. was a priest of a, a sun god called Eliagabalo. Ooh, and, that and, sounds like you've got a better source than me. And he wanted, this is uh, early 200s AD, he wanted that to be the religion of the Roman Empire, and well, that didn't, that didn't go over very well. This is, this is, this is before Constantine and Christianity, this isn't still the Roman Empire, it was still pagan. He wanted one god, he wanted Eliagabalus to be Elagabalo to be the the god of the Roman Empire, and well, that that went over like a red balloon, and he got assassinated by the Victorian Guard, I believe. So, hmm. Yeah, they, that, so yeah, so that didn't go so well. There is a, a scene. I'm just scrolling through the uh, the book, and there's a scene where uh, I just want to read it and see what you guys think because I think it's interesting. Oh Christ! Anything you say, Arnie groaned. I'll talk to you tomorrow about it. Go to bed or something. Take a pill. Just get off me. He slammed down the phone. The tape on the transport had reached its end. The music had ceased a long time ago. Arnie stalked over to his tape library and snatched up a box at random. The doctor, he said to himself, I'll get him. But not now. Not, not, no time now. There must be something the matter with him. He must have some wild hair up his bunk. Yeah. <laughs> Examining the box, he read, W.A. Mozart, Symphony 40 in G uh, Mole, K550. I love Mozart, he said to Doreen, Jack Bolin, and the Steiner boy. I'll put this on. He removed the reel of the tape from the box and put it onto the transport. 
I love the technology here. He fiddled with the knobs and the amplifier until he could hear the hiss of the tape as it passed through the head. Bruno Walter conducting, he told his guest. A great rarity from the golden age of recordings. And then it says, A hideous racket of screeches and shrieks issued from the speakers. Noises like the convulsions of the dead. Arnie thought in horror. Uh, Arnie thought in horror. He ran to shut off the tape transport. Uh, I was thinking when I heard that, that it was... It was the, he'd accidentally put one of those uh, encoded messages mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's always recording those, uh, what, what, what do we call that? When you, you siphon, in cipher, yeah. mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is, uh, the reason he's doing that is so people don't, the not that there seems to be any cops on Mars, but it's, it's so the cops don't have evidence <laughs> against him, right? He, he, yeah, that's what I thought as well, well but... But but that's this is this this isn't this the scene that gets repeated over and over again? It is. Yeah. And this happens each time we get the the, the, the music goes on and that we get that hideous racket. Now now I'm looking at my book. Yeah. And it says you know and the next thing is seated on the carpet, snipping pictures from the magazines with his scissors and pasting them into the new configurations. Manfred Steiner heard the noise and glanced up. It's like he he can. He can re- recognize what's going on, it seems like. He saw Mr. Uh, Cott hurry to the tape machine to shut it off. How blurred Mr. Cott became, Manfred noticed. It was hard to see him when he moved so swiftly. It was as if in some way he managed to disappear from the room and then reappear in another spot. The boy felt frightened. But it, 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 is this the sign that we're going into the tomb world? You know, that we're... That's how I took it. It seems to start. Yeah, well... Yeah. Well, look, look, looking at one of the other scene, one other version of this scene, a hideous racket of screeches and shrieks issued from somewhere in the room, and after a time, she realized it was her. She was cold from, cold, convulsed from within. Inside, uh, all the all the corpse things there were heaving and crawling, struggling out into the light of the room. God, how could she stop them? They emerged from her pores and scuttled off, dropping from strands of gummy web to the floor to disappear into the cracks between the boards. Sorry, Artie Carr muttered. So yeah, I think mm. it is a sign of the tomb world. It, it, it's, 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 I was just going to say it's strange because who, whoever's perspective we're in when we have that scene, they all think the same thing as well about that sound of the corpses. They all have the same mm-hmm. thought. There was a uh, another screech somewhere yeah, here. It's the first one. They um, let's see. Jack Boland too was a. Dead sacks teeming with gubbish. Uh, I love Mozart. Yep, a hideous racket. Um, let's see, wincing at the sound, Jack Boland sniffed the woman's body beside him, saw a shiny perspiration on her <laughs> upper lip where a faint smear of lipstick made her mouth look cut. He wanted to bite her lips. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So, yeah, this is, this is, this is the, the key. Uh, yeah, the, the hideous racket of screeches and shrieks is the pivot point for these three scenes. Yeah. These three points of reviews. So yeah, I think it's definitely a look into the tomb world. It's got to be. Uh, I'm just. I did a search for screech, and uh, there's a bus. The bus honked. Its air brakes screeched. Other traffic halted as Steiner ran forward yeah. with his head down, his eyes shut. Only at the last moment, with his sound on the air horn so loud in his ears that it became unbearably painful, did he open his eyes. He saw the driver of the bus gaping down at him, saw the steering wheel and the number on the driver's cap, and then he, I guess he wakes up. 
And then, oh, in the solarium at Ben Camp Ben Gurion, Miss Milch heard the sounds of sirens, and she paused in the middle of the dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy from Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite, which she played. She was playing on the piano for the children to dance to. <laughs> so every time music comes up, it it, it change. I mean, if you think about it, uh, music has meaning for people. At least some people, it has great meaning. But uh, what what do dogs think of music? I mean, when we hear dogs barking, we don't say, "Oh, great!" You know, <laughs> we, we're annoyed by it. They're not very um, musical. <laughs> yep. And what do, what do autistic people think of, of music? I don't know. That's a good question. It's it's very strange. I've I've heard of a project where they, or at least a, a software thing where you take a piece of music and you can slow it down to. And it, 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 so it almost turns like into trance music. Mm-hmm. So I want, yeah. So I, in Dick's mind, maybe uh, music music play com- has a different sort of register. He doesn't explore that here. I don't think he explores that anywhere. But that's a very Dickian sort of idea that music, music and sound could be mean different things. This this scene I was talking about. It, it also it struck me as I was reading it. There's something weird going on here because we we are we suddenly cut to the you know this this school right, which we don't spend a lot of time in. It says so. It says the butch the bus brakes screeched, right? Air brakes screeched, and then it says Miss Milch heard the sound of sirens, and then one of the boys says fire going to the window. The other children followed. And then Miss Miss uh, he says Miss no it's an ambulance Miss Much another boy said at the window going downtown and I remember thinking well what is this what what does this have to do with anything Miss Much resumed playing and the children at the sound of the rhythms coming from the piano straggled back to their places they were bears at the zoo cavorting for peanuts that was what music suggested to them Miss Milch told them to go ahead and act it out but. Who's that ambulance for? Is that for, for Norbert. Ernie? Yeah, for Steiner. Norbert. Yeah, the, the, the suicide. Ah, uh, right, right. Right, okay. And Manfred, isn't he watching? He's watching out the window, right? Yeah. He is, yeah. He yeah. just his head noticed, yeah. I guess he saw it before it happened, maybe. Heedless of the music, his head down, a thoughtful expression on his face. As the sign wailed up loudly for a moment, Manfred lifted his head. So she thinks... Noticing that... She thinks Sorry. he's listening to the siren, but he's he knows that Steiner's going to change everything in the future. I guess it seems that yeah, way. Yeah, and if it's so, Arnie goes back in time. He thinks I'm not going to save Norbert. He says that mm-hmm. explicitly, like I'm not going to do anything to stop that, because he wants to. He wants to have the black market business for himself. Mm-hmm. It's just more more evidence that Arnie really is a horrible human being. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Things are not so hopeless after all, Miss Milch said to herself. Wait until his father hears. It shows we must never give up. (laughs) She played loudly and happily. (laughs) That goes back to that that Ludwig Binswanger thing, right? You just need a little bit of hope, even if it's false hope. (laughs) Well, uh, it was a book. It was a a good book. It was good to listen to it again. I want to. I want to do another Philip K. Dick. Well, which one haven't you done? Which ones have you done at this point? You've done some. He wrote like fifty. I know, of them, but so. you've done. A bu- no, we haven't done that many. Well, um, I, 
I made a list of there's a there's a listing, but I think I've I know we've done do Android stream of electric sheep. We did Deus Irae. We did uh, the um, the uh, Martian, Martian time slip. <laughs> we did um, uh, Galactic Pot Healer. Yeah, you did. And I think we did one more. Marissa, were you in on the last one? No, I haven't been on a Philip K. Dick one before. Oh, okay. What was the what were the ones you were on before? Mm, I did call it Dwyna Smith. And it oh, right. releases okay. one. He's he's a he's a kind of a dicky sort yeah. of guy. We did a short story uh by Dick called Fair Game, which I think you should read is an excellent story. Um I wanna read the all of his Street, books. The short story. Oh, he's so good. You know, I'm thinking about whether I should just start at the beginning and go through an order. <laughs> uh, uh, I would I, I don't know. Uh, I think you should just stop. Don't read, dude. I'm afraid of his later book. Are you? I'm just. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's definitely a horizon where after which you probably shouldn't read him because you know, <laughs> yeah, the suck fairy will hit and hit hard. The world zones made. That's another novel uh, we did, and that one is interesting. It's it's got. Oh yeah, I read that. Uh, one. Yeah, it's an interesting one. We did. We've done a lot of short stories, but I think that's it for for novels. The rest are just um, uh, short stories, and uh, those are so good. There's there's so many of his that are there's public domain. There's 36 public domain Philip K. Dick stories, but there's a he wrote like a hundred more than that for uh, shorts, and some of them are amazingly good. Just little gems of like this. Um, you haven't you haven't you haven't done time out of joint yet. My no, favorite Dick novel. <laughs> That's the one where everything's backwards. No, that's no, that's that's the one where he lives in the where uh, lives in the town, and it turns out not to be. It's the one that kind of the Truman Show is kind of based on, where he lives okay. in the town and he, he's doing the little, doing a little puzzle uh, where the little, where the little Grammy next, Grammy next, but it's actually it's actually a constructed town for his benefit. It's a great one. If you do a show on that. Well, I, let's put it on the I schedule. must be on it because I will talk about it endlessly. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll put it on schedule. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.